Greetings, everyone. This is Arvind Serene, your host and the CEO and chairman of Copper Digital. And you're tuned into another captivating episode of Health Tech Innovation 2024-25. Today, we've got a guest whose professional journey is like a gripping novel with chapters in executive sales, corporate operations, and human capital management. He's a visionary behind explosive growth of Great Speech Inc., a company revolutionizing virtual speech therapy in 47 states. Our guest's passion for transforming healthcare through technology was forged in the crucible of real-life heroism. He was a first responder to the One World Trade Center on that fateful day, September 11, 2001. Today, as the Chief Revenue Officer at Great Speech, he's not just breaking barriers, he's redefining how we approach healthcare communication Without further suspense, let me unveil our guest, the mastermind behind great speech, Drew Ben-Orhan. Welcome to the show, Drew. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Arvind. Awesome. Yeah, I'm excited well, to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you. So, Drew, your journey from being a first responder on September 11 to becoming a key player in telehealth is truly inspiring. Um, can you share a pivotal moment or realization as you were going through that and what led you to get into the healthcare industry and specifically in uh, telehealth? Yeah, absolutely. So people always ask me, how do I attach the two together? Uh, it's a little bit about my own personality, uh, a thrill seeker, a little bit of an adventure seeker as well. Uh, being a uh, EMT in uh, New York City for 13 years, um, I found myself in different uh, conditions and serious the scenarios, of course, September 11th was the greatest, you know, uh, or most dangerous event that I've experienced uh, till today. Uh, with that, you know, as an entrepreneur, right, we're risk taking. We have to really uh, know ourselves and uh, take those, you know, leaps. And, uh, you know, what I say is really calculated risks and uh, figuring out what the next steps would be uh, to be successful. If you're in a uh, serious medical condition, and you're in a rescue event that you need to think about that. And if you're steering a company into the unknown, and I say that because telehealth is somewhat, it's infantile stage growing. And where we are today is nowhere where we were five years ago. And I'm excited to see where we're going to be in five years from now in regards to telehealth. Wonderful. Okay, great. Well, um, so then in 2001, when that happened, how long after that, um, did you actually transition to getting into the, the healthcare industry? Well, it took a few years to get into the healthcare space at that time. I was actually, the reason I uh, was a first responder, I got there so quickly is I was actually a trader on Wall Street at the time. Uh, but uh, I also, you know, quickly kind of understood that, uh, you know, the greatest growth is going to happen in the healthcare space. So when I uh, looked to transition out of Wall Street, uh, healthcare was just the, you know, natural uh, growth or natural movement that I made it, you know, and I moved to. Got it. Got it. Yeah, no, healthcare is just such such an important industry, even for us here at Copper Digital. And, um, you know, that's because of uh, the, the need. Um, there's just so much that's needed and health is one of the most important things for everybody. And um, I think it's just so unique as an industry and the technology can definitely 
help us give that much, much better experience for all of the patients and um, really amazing outcomes. So Fine. you've been an instrumental designer for Great Speech since its inception. When did you guys get started? So in 2009, I started at MD Live. And, uh, you know, in 2014, I came to my wife and I said to her, hey, this telehealth thing is really going to be hot. It's going to be interesting. More interesting than not, right? Everything kind of happens for a reason. She looks at me and she says, you wouldn't believe it. She was actually a speech therapist at a clinic. And she was telling me about a uh, mother that had... Uh, Three of her kids show up to the clinic. One was getting speech therapy. Another one was doing their homework in the waiting room. And the third child was being fed dinner while they were going to it. And the mother was frustrated beyond belief uh, in regards to having to, you know, pull all these things into play to be able to make sure that her, her, her child that does need help receives the help. And she looks at me and she says, why can't we do this through telehealth solution? Why can't we build that out? So in 2014, we literally launched uh, the virtual speech therapy. I'll tell you that there was nobody out there that we found that we were aware of that was involved in that space. And uh, we're reinventing the wheel and making sure that we provide the protocols, uh, we follow through with it, and, uh, and kind of build it out. We also had to uh, find a team because there was no EMR, there was no a platform that services speech therapists or any therapy at that time. So we really, we went out there, we uh, hired and bootstrapped our own, you know, developers to build it out and create a platform, which today is incredible. We sometimes really just step, take a step back and are amazed at the level of complexity that it has to, for the patient, as well as for the therapist side of things, right? We have to think about both sides as we grow through that. So, uh, you know, it's been fun. And, uh, of course, COVID really propelled us. We were in the right place at the right time. Uh, we you know, right the audience, can you, can you describe a little bit, like, what does uh, Great Speech do? Absolutely. Great question. Thank you. So we're a virtual speech therapy company. We support kids, adults, and seniors in 47 states today. One of the things people think of as speech therapy is just about little Susie with a lisp or Stephen with a stutter. But I need you know to kind of think a lot broader. If you look at uh, traumatic brain injury patients, concussions, if you think of uh, brain cancer, brain tumors, mouth cancer, tongue cancer, people have to relearn words. Post-stroke patients, aphasia, we support. There's also tremendous research and one of the biggest gaps I feel in healthcare today in, when it comes to speech therapy is a cognitive deficit. There is research and proven white paper that shows that speech therapists can help slow down the cognitive impairment. Now, I'm make, make sure to say to you, I'm not curing Alzheimer's, I'm not curing dementia, but it, there is a component to slow it down. And what does it mean to you as a family member if your mother or father uh, can remember words longer, can remember events longer and have that? We don't see that enough in the, in the care plan today, the cognitive deficit areas, but we also work with the autism population. And uh, most recently in 2023, we launched a, a transgender voice affirmation. So uh, those that are transitioning uh, can therefore connect their voices to the actual you know uh, gender that they're specifically looking to be and work. Wow, wow, that's amazing. 
yeah, it looks like you guys um, are helping a lot of people. That's great. So for, for the audience, I guess you're like the better help for speech therapy. Better help, you know, does therapy. Right. Of course, lots of people are very familiar with that. Um, so uh, the, the way that you do this therapy is uh, through an online meeting, like a Zoom meeting, or is it through your platform? And then that's when um, the patient would join in and have that exact same, you know, type of experience that they would if you, they were to go to like an actual therapy. So our favorite part is our hybrid model where we have synchronous live one-on-one -on -one therapy with the speech therapist. Um, and it is just like you said, think of it like a Zoom or what we're doing right now to integrate and interact. And then we have an asynchronous, you know, component to it where the therapist provides homework to the patient depending on what their ailment or their issue is. And we walk them through a care plan, right? There's always, you know, we're looking for them to, you know, progress through the process, follow the care plan and get to a certain level where they can graduate from our program. So the synchronous and asynchronous to live one-on-one -on -one therapy, along with the hybrid homework that we created, some of the, or a lot of it is video tutorials for them to train and practice on is really what's working well. And we're seeing, you know, good success on that. And yeah, by the way, great way or great comparison, better help in the mental health part of things uh, is a good comparison to what we are in the speech therapy realm. Got it. Got it. And then so if there is a patient, um, like usually is it covered by the healthcare um, insurance or are you working with them directly or is it direct connection with the patients or are you getting a lot of referrals? I'm just trying to understand the landscape a little bit just for my no, absolutely. No, uh, the number one reason patients don't Aired today from us is financial. So we're looking to get signed up with as many insurance companies out there as possible. Uh, some of the big ones have already signed up with us, uh, like Cigna on a national level. We support the commercial and Medicare business. Uh, we have most recently Centene, which is the well cares and the sunshines and the Ambetter that we have. So is this signing up, sorry to interject, but is this signing up more for telehealth? Like they would allow or approve therapy in person but they're not allowing um, remote therapy. Is that is that the case? Well, some of them have their network closed. You can't even sign up with them. They're not looking to add any speech therapy at all. Others don't want to approve a telehealth product. Some are nervous that it might create utilization, right? Which you're absolutely right. It might create utilization because utilization is needed and can't be accessed. You know, one of my favorite stories is a Texas patient we have. There's about 80 people in his town, and he can only access speech therapy virtually on days that are sunny because his internet is satellite-based. That's how remote he is. If it wasn't wow. for our availability and our capability, they would not get the care they need. He's actually a post-stroke patient, right? So then imagine... What does that mean to a aphasia post-stroke patient not getting care and not being able to communicate? We talk about social determinants of health. Well, we know it's going to get them to self-isolate. You can't communicate. You're not calling your friends and your family members to hang out. We know that's going to drive them to loneliness, right? We know that's going to be a driver to depression. Well, depression is going to be handled by their primary care, and they're going to give some medication or pharmaceutical component. And I tell insurance companies, look upstream. Look to see what created the ailment or issue, what created the loneliness, what created that social determinants of health that we are speaking so much about, and is the ability to communicate 
uh, a key factor for that patient or for that support. No, I like that. And I like that link as well, because yesterday I had a podcast with Jeremy Holloway, who's um, made some significant impact in this specific uh, field on um, preventing isolation for senior citizens by connecting them with students. So he's got a um, you know, great product, Telegacy. And you know, for the audience, if you'd like to check out that podcast, uh, definitely do. It's uh, something very similar that we talk about. But I, I do agree that I think it's enabling uh, people to have those great conversations where they feel heard and they have that confidence so that um, they are not isolated. So this, you're absolutely right. That's going to lead to isolation if you know they are not comfortable, confident in speech. So no, that's that's a great cause. So kudos to uh, what you do and the mission that you're on. Now, at, at great communication, oh, I was thinking, think of communication as the top of the pyramid. You know, you and I could both be diabetic and still have it be working and doing this podcast together. You and I could have a musculoskeletal or back pain and still be working and communicating and doing what we're doing right this second. If either one of us had a communication disorder of any kind, we would not be able to function or work our usual jobs. We would be out of work and going through it. So communication is really at the top of the pyramid. And we learned that with COVID when people seek that social connection, right? And that social connection is about communicating with one another. So it really needs to be looked at a lot more serious than health plans are seeing it as. Absolutely. I feel like even as a species, we evolved and made a huge um, dent on the planet, if you will. I mean, we kind of ruled the planet as you know, homo sapiens. And I think what was different was our ability to tell stories. Uh, there's this uh, really awesome book um, by Yuval Noah Harari. Uh, you're probably familiar with him, but... He's uh, written this book, Sapiens, and he talks about how we flourished because of our ability to tell complex stories and then have those stories stay and then be communicated further to people. And that links perfectly to, um, you know, ability to uh, communicate. And uh, I think you guys are definitely doing a great job. So I guess switching gears there, um, you know, so when you started... Um, great speech or, you know, since its inception, what were some of the early challenges that companies faced? Well, some of these challenges are still existing, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But really the uh, adaptation, right, the uh, credibility of the product in 2014, 15, 16, right, people didn't think of telehealth. People didn't think of accessing care on a virtual model. So it really was educating the members. And by the way, that's happening today. I meet with you know top executives having aha moments when they think about virtual speech therapy and tell me they've never heard about it and these are at the top of their game. So it's really about education and support in that uh, component. Uh, one of the biggest barriers is licensing, right? T today, as we talked about, uh, each one of our speech therapists has to be licensed in that specific state that the patient's in. Uh, why is that? Right? Why do we have that? Why aren't we creating some kind of national telehealth license that says, you know, pay this fee, you know, have that, and you can support speech therapists. And by the way, that goes to a lot of different fields to go out there. And those speech therapists will be able to practice in each state. So I don't need to each and every time apply to a specific state 
and have that. And it really hinders the success because one of the things that's really nice about virtual is our subspecialty. You know, a speech therapist comes out of school and she's supposed to know everything and anything about everything, about all ailments and issues. But realistically, they then go into subspecialties. Some will go only into adults. They will deal with more cognitive or post-stroke patients or things. Some will go into more pediatric. We'll deal with articulation or stuttering in that area. But what's nice about our, you know, our profile and how we look at our therapists is that we do categorize them like that. So our therapists that work with adults only with adults. And our therapists work with kids only work with kids. And if you're a stutterer, then we have therapists, you know, that are specializing, they've done extra, you know, training or, or schooling or stuttering specifically. Now, why shouldn't you be getting that best therapist to support you in that area? Today, hopefully that therapist is licensed in the state you're in. And if not, then she can't help you. And we get somebody else to support that also has, you know, more knowledge about that ailment or issue. But we want to go with the best therapist out there. And the licensing is definitely something that's holding us back today. And, and I think that if we can really reevaluate it, and there is a lot of talks about reciprocity and more of a telehealth license, and some states are going to accept it and some states are going to reject it, but we need to move quicker on that. It's going to help a lot to the members. Yeah, no, that's an important point that you raised. So I guess, is this the same for other fields? And I think it is, but it applies to them. Like as an attorney, you have to be you know, on the Texas state bar to practice here. But that's logical because there are the state laws and the courthouses here. Similarly, for somebody to work on HVAC, they have to be licensed um, or, you know, an electrician, they have to be licensed in that state because it's actual work. But I feel like, um, you know, with the telehealth now, um, this is something that uh, needs to be evaluated. Do we actually need or, or can we have, like you described earlier in our conversations, this one license that covers all of the U.S.? I remember when COVID did it, there was a, uh, you know, everything's open. You know, the first, oh, really? um, I don't want to be quoted, you know, was it a year or nine months and get misquoted? There was a time period that the federal government of states said, hey, it's open to everybody. You don't need to be licensed to practice in our state. Uh, that got shut down a year plus or so. But again, don't hold me on that time frame. So it did happen during COVID. But then they reverted back to now you need to follow each license in each state specific. Uh, when it comes to the healthcare space, you're absolutely right. Attorneys have to know specific you know, uh, laws or uh, different uh, events that took place in that state. In the medical field and speech therapy, a child that stutters in Florida I'm not saying every child is the same, right? Every 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 kid, every person, every patient is different, but it has the same characteristic as as a person stuttering in Washington State or in Alaska. And let's treat them and support them with the best therapists that we have. Absolutely, absolutely. So your work mainly is um, on some sort of um, a disability that happens, but is it also available for, let's say, um, people in different countries who want to um, improve their communication as such. Like, I'll give you an example. Um, when I graduated, then uh, because I, I was born in New Delhi, India, and I, I came here um, at a young age. But then 
the English that's spoken in India is, of course, very, very different. So I had to really just, you know, understand certain things. And there were elements like, you know, hey, say this in a certain way. Like for Indians, um, you know, like v and w is the same sound. Like we can't even decipher. So we might say, oh, I'm very good. But, you know, that's very, which I understood, like how you got to like roll the tongue. So, I mean, there are a lot of that science-based um, methods to sound um, a little bit more convincing or, you know, be understood. I think all of those same motivations, but um, is it a different field? Because I know there are some uh, instructors, even on YouTube, or people running their practices or CEOs of multinational companies, but that's not something that you dabble in. And do you look at that as something that you could expand to in future? So what you're speaking of is especially what you brought up is called accent modification. And we actually yes. do that. Um, okay. We have a lot of South Americans that come to the U.S. and are looking to sound more American or pronounced differently. And we do partake in that. And, you know, that's not insurance based, by the way. Insurance won't cover it. But we have a cash paying direct to consumer program to help those that are looking to sound more American. In regards to a global level, we're back to licensing. Uh, we're back to, you know, needing to create some kind of reciprocity. We're today licensed state by state, our therapists, and uh, a person in Jamaica, right, which speaks English, uh, that needs our services cannot be supported by, by us. We cannot help them in a different country or in a different state. We would love to see that expansion. You know, for, you know, we could talk globally, but I'm saying even just look North America, right? We right. can talk about Canada. We no, can talk what's about the Mexico. Reason? What's the reason uh, that somebody in Jamaica, like, is it uh, blocked by their healthcare system or insurance, or is it uh, blocked by the United States? Well, it's really licensing. We're not licensed to practice in Jamaica, right? You're licensed on a state-by-state -state level. Uh, some countries have specific guidelines to it, uh, and some don't. But again, you would need to be licensed. Now, I speak to, about Jamaica because specifically we get a lot of inquiries from Jamaica. Um, they don't have that many speech therapists. It's not about even rural or, or remote or anything. You could be in the most urban area, and they have only two speech therapists, and they're booked for 10 months or a year, and people are Googling and finding about our company. But uh, regretfully, we can't support that today. Uh, again, going yeah. back to like the thing and just opening it up to being able to help more people. Yeah, and I think that's an important um, aspect that I'm sure would get attention. And by us speaking about it, I'm sure that somebody watching who can have an impact could could take it up and and see how to make it more accessible and easier. Um, so, and I and I'm glad you touched on a little bit on beyond the U.S. Right, because. Um, there is so much of potential benefit through collaboration in overall um, health tech space. I mean, um, there are these international partnerships that can contribute to advancing healthcare on a global scale by sharing knowledge. I mean, I spent a lot of time in India last year, and that's when I discovered that even in India, there was a better help um, version. And it was good, but I didn't connect with the therapist as such because of the culture and all of that. So, you know, that didn't work. But I think um, that's something that should be possible, like globally 
um, you know, making telehealth available. What are some of the partnerships that you see would be most beneficial? Right. One of the concerns that I think the U.S. has, I can't speak for other countries, is quality, right? Or a speech therapist that graduate here in the United States, right? We know the level of the university. Then we have ASHA, American Speech and Hearing Association, that is our governing body, that you need to be in good, you know, uh, good standings with them, and they verify it. And then we have our, you know, CEUs, continuing education credits that the therapists need to, you know, uh, get on a regular basis. So I think one of the, I can't speak about why we can't go out, right? Because I feel like we're at a very high level, but I can see that maybe the concern is, well, if I let them practice outside of the country, then I need to say that those therapists or those doctors can practice in our country without that licensing or without reciprocity. And the concern is what level of training, education, and quality uh, we might be bringing it to those patients. And, you know, how do we need that quality control? How do we lose that quality assurance uh, aspect to it? So I think that's where the big concern is. That's, that's where the big picture we need to kind of evaluate. Because number one and most important is quality, right, over anything else out there. Uh, like you said, we can talk about where we're going um, on a global level, but I'm saying, you know, on a more narrow, look at the North America area. How do we just expand in that area, in that component, in that environment? When you deal with therapy or real-time, you know, live engagement, uh, when you talk about AI and technology side of things, of course, I, I'm not an expert, right? But that's almost fair game, right? If there's a good technology out there that people can benefit, we can discuss, you know, maybe go into RPM, remote patient monitoring, or other areas like that. And that can really cross state line with a, a little bit more ease uh, or across national or across oceans to be able to support and benefit the member. So I was speaking, I was speaking only on the real engagement or, or life, uh, live engagement that takes place between the member and their caregiver, patient, you know, doctor, therapist, or anything else. Yeah. And um, so that's interesting what you mentioned because it, it just brings some thoughts. Like, couldn't there be an avatar who is programmed using AI that could just know on the basis of, okay, well, these are the first few questions. And then you hear the patient, you analyze it, you give them instructions. I mean, maybe not everything can be done, but there could be at least some prep sessions or to make it um, globally available, wouldn't everyone benefit? Like those people in uh, Jamaica who only have two or uh, uh, very few therapists and there's no appointments, would they not benefit from an app like that where they could just download and be like, okay, well, I'm going to set it on a tripod and just try to do this or even for the accent modification. Um, I think something that has um, analysis of the speech, you know, from from the person who's on the other side, but then that 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 brains could be AI. And then there could be maybe one session every now and then with the therapist as well, or somebody could be reviewing in the back, like, are they getting the right instructions or is there something more important that we're missing out? What do you think? Can, can technology help there? And if so, how far out are we from having, um, you know, applications, programs like that? So we're not that far out from there, but yes, it absolutely can help and to, uh, to be able to get to those members that might not get care as needed. Of course, you need to check regulations. I can't speak for, you know, can you do a fully asynchronous 
product in uh, countries outside of the U.S. and what would that look like? And what will those countries, how will they evaluate that technology? Are you coming into their country? So I can't speak on that. Uh, but you can absolutely go into more of that AI, more of voice um, recognition and being able to identify. There's currently going on in Europe specifically certain uh, you know research being done uh, can you identify cognitive impairments early on, four to five years before signs of the cognitive issues going on uh, through your speech, through your voice? Uh, it could be early onset of Parkinson's. It could be early onset of Alzheimer's dementia. And there is research taking place. And uh, that's what I said to you originally. In five years from now, we're going to be in a whole different place. Uh, we are we are at that level. We are at that level. We surely are. And, and you know, um, things are moving so fast. The advancements in healthcare, it's just mind-boggling and really amazing. But let me ask you this. So what do you believe are the most pressing challenges that uh, technology can help address in the coming years? And it could be across the board. And I guess once you once you mention those, talk about like how can innovators contribute to solving these challenges? Because some of these you know, may not be ready now. So what do you do? You wait for it or, you know, maybe you come up with an alternative and you slowly, like you mentioned, you know, your iterative approach, it's it's something that you, I mean, I feel like you guys were in the market before that surge happened, right? And, and that's very important. But I, I think that's very hard to predict. So you probably just have to do whatever it is that you're passionate for and then rising tide lifts all boats and I think pandemic definitely helped a lot uh, for this, you know, telehealth industry, and of course many other industries also. It it just helped, you know, with that surge in demand and and also changing the perception a little bit. Absolutely, absolutely. So, what yeah. trends are you most looking forward to? So, I think the big focus is going to be about chronic care management. Right, that's the costliest dollars for for health plans, for healthcare, or for employers that are self funded. Um, how do we, you know? service? How do we support those chronic conditions? How do we improve it? There's a lot of talk about, you know, diabetes, right? RPM, remote patient monitoring. Uh, what can we do? Can we reverse diabetes? You know, there's certain companies out there that are making that claim or showing that proof that they have the uh, secret sauce uh, for uh, rever you know, reversing that. How do we make sure a patient adheres to medication? Uh, you know, do we, you know, carrot or the stick, do we reward them for staying in line or following their care plan as needed? So again, a lot of it's going to be about the chronic condition management, the costlier dollars that are going on in healthcare, and uh, and to see how we can bring that down. How can we save money? How can we uh, bend that trend? How can we really improve it? RPM, the technology side of things, is going to be a big factor. You know, I love my Apple Watch. You know, it gives me so much data about how much I sleep and how much I exercise. And, you know, while we were talking, it, it dinged me, telling me it's time to stand up and to move around. You know, those are so, uh, small things that we're looking at, but we can look at much bigger things that go out there, right? If it's uh, identifying, you know, any kind of uh, heart conditions or sugar level or anything else that might be going on, we'll be focusing on that a lot in the next, you know, coming year. Absolutely. I think uh, it's going to be super fascinating. And I think that's so much now that's possible, especially with AI as well. It's just uh, really amazing. Okay, well, good. Um, 
I guess as uh, chief revenue officer in your role at uh, Great Speech, uh, I guess you're responsible for driving revenue go- growth. And I mean, that's an important aspect of your role. What are some of the strategies or initiative initiatives that you found most helpful in achieving that sustainable revenue revenue growth in the health tech sector? So the big factor is educating, right? Being a pioneer, you know, there's an old saying, pioneers get all the arrows and the settlers get all the land, you know? And what does that mean? As a pioneer, I get arrows each and every day. You know, they, you don't know what you don't know. And I tell that to people all the time. You don't know how big a problem it is until you start, you know, digging deeper and delving deeper. If you look at just your current, you know, claims for speech therapy, you might say it's a, you know, it's a moot point. It's so little, it's not even worth, you know, when you deal with billions and billions of dollars, uh, that's not a line item that you're really focusing on. Well, how come, you know, is it really because it's not such a big deal, you know, and 46 million Americans have a communication disorder that's not being addressed, or is it that people can't access care? You know, and I say that to health plans as they come on board. Um, we had one health plan that gave me an estimate on what they're expecting for us to do in 2022. Uh, we broke that estimate by 841%. Um, we then in 2023 broke it and we, we doubled it by 202%. And why is that? They kind of scratched their head and looked and said, where is this coming from? Why didn't we see that? Well, it's pretty simple. If I am in rural Florida and my child needs speech therapy and I know everything in my town and I know that the closest speech therapist is only about 80 miles away, I'm not even bothering to look for care. I'm not even looking for the support. I'm not getting the care. Um, I did a study in the state of Florida and found that north of Orlando, there was very little, and we use CPT codes to evaluate um, very little speech going on. I'm not saying it's not happening at all. You have a little sporadic area. But south of Orlando, you saw a lot of speech therapy going on by the CPT codes. North of Orlando, you did it. Now, we can assume two things. Either we should all live north of Orlando because they're healthier. Nobody's autistic. Nobody has strokes. Nobody has cognitive deficits. Nobody has traumatic brain injuries. No articulation or stuttering issues. And we should all really move to somewhere north of Orlando, or the next thing you need to look at is saying, maybe they have an access issue. Maybe that there is more remote area. Maybe the panhandle area of the state of Florida really can't, doesn't have speech therapists. So even if I do have my mom had a stroke and speech therapy is a requirement for her, if I don't have it in my area, I'm not seeking that care and I'm not getting that care. And I think that's the biggest area I keep telling plans. I go, it's not about what you're seeing, it's what you don't see. You know, if the, uh, you know, CDC tells you there are, you know, 37 million Americans with diabetic that are diabetic, and the U.S. government is also saying 46 million Americans are suffer- suffering from a communication disorder, where is that in the numbers? You know, when you look at that. So I really try to get plans to educate and look at it in that regard. What percentage of your, and I can throw a lot of data on cognitive impairment and deficit and how speech therapy should be part of the care plan out there. And when I tell chief medical officers, I say, just run a report 
how many diagnoses of Alzheimer's dementia also are getting a CBT code of speech therapy, the percentage is almost zero. They're not getting it. For whatever reason, you can talk about, we've spoken to neurologists, they tell us that you know it's more pharmaceutical-based. We talk about that the Alzheimer's Association doesn't even have speech therapy as a referral source on their page to go through it. So it's really about breaking barriers and, and educating people about the importance and not about what they see, but about what they don't see that should give them that aha moment and realize that something needs to change. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think I love it. Um, I mean, definitely there needs to be um, that that adoption across. And I think starting with the insurance companies is is um, really important and, and educating the, the patients as well. So right. technology adoption in healthcare can sometimes face resistance, as, as you're seeing as well. How do you address the, those potential hesitations or concerns from even customers? Um, like if somebody um, would have this perception that in-person therapy might be much better, if they, if they are not living in a remote area, if they have access to a lot of the speech therapists or even otherwise just generally telehealth um, and, and, you know, even going to your PCP. So how do you address those potential hesitations or concerns for the customers and what communication strategies have proven effective in overcoming resistance to technology adoption in your experience? So I would like to first make a disclaimer that telehealth is incredible but isn't for everyone and everything, right? We can't solve for everything. There's always limitations. Telehealth does have limitations, and we need to work within those limits that uh, that are appropriate for each uh, specialty or each support. With that being said, the conversations have changed dramatically pre-COVID and post-COVID. Uh, Pre-COVID, those, those hesitations were a lot stronger. Post-COVID, people are actually preferring the virtual. You know, we are like Amazon Prime. Today, we want things instantaneous. You know, I get annoyed when I put something in my Amazon cart and when I first put it in, it says it'll get there by 10 p.m. Not that I need it by 10 p.m. But then when I check out, it also says tomorrow and there's a little bit of piece of me that's annoyed. Even though it doesn't matter to me, it won't affect my life, I didn't need it at 10 a.m. Uh, so people want things to their front door and that's where we really are. You know, who is my best customer? Who is my best, you know, patient? It's the Amazon Prime subscriber. Is a person that's looking to get it to the door, wants convenience, doesn't want to have to uh, trouble themselves, get into a car, get out of a car, find parking, uh, weather-related storms, snowstorms, uh, blizzards, or anything else like that. So the those conversation pieces have really come down a lot. Uh, with that, I want to say also, even the urban areas uh, are having limitations or uh, long wait times. Uh, we're just speaking, we just signed up with a new plan that uh, we spoke to a specific state uh, to their clinics, and they have a nine-month waiting period for speech therapy. They're ecstatic wow. that we came on board. And uh, this started January 1st, and we're already seeing, you know, large chunks of patients uh, getting the preauthorization and going into our evaluation setup and moving forward on that. So it, it, the conversation has changed. I would say there's less of a pushback to it uh, and more of a, you know, can you get it to my doorstep? Can you bring it to me rather than me having to go to it? You know, Walmart, Walmart today delivers, BJ delivers, you know, and they want their speech therapy delivered to the home as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think not necessarily that in-person experience is going to be uh, better because, you know, like we were talking earlier as well, I think for certain population, uh, it could be like a game or it could be, uh, you know, they could have a lot more sessions. And then, of course, um, like you gave the example of uh, a mom with juggling with three kids, you know, one in the session, one doing homework and another one, um, you know, also occupied. I think those are the scenarios, um, you know, that are important to consider. But, you know, like it's not necessarily that you're going to have the best experience in person uh, is is also true. So I, I think that's uh, that's pretty important. Yeah. I mean, the kids love it, right? You're, you're telling me I can sit here and play with somebody for 30 minutes. Some of them don't even realize they're in therapy, right? We might be playing shoots and ladders with them. And, you know, we want to look for certain sounds that they make if it's an articulation. And they're engaged and are looking for it. We've had parents tell us that the kid fired their two therapists in person and this was their last resort and the kids embracing it and loving it and appreciating it and wants more. They get upset when we graduate them and tell them, okay, great job. You've reached your, your, you know, your goals. Uh, we now need to graduate, you know, from the program and the child's upset. He wants to continue. And we've had that feedback, which, which is actually interesting. Uh, we have great. feedback from, from the seniors. Uh, we hear, you know, we're so excited for a speech therapist appointment on Wednesday. Um, the day before, I went to my hairdresser. I know what I'm going to wear. I'm looking forward to it. You know, because what are we doing with seniors? We're getting to speak. We're getting to focus. We're interacting with them to go through it. They're looking at it, and they're looking forward to it, right? So we're actually affecting SDOH and loneliness when it comes to those areas. Absolutely. No, it's great. I guess um, moving on to... 2024, 25, what are some of the emerging trends or developments that you are particularly really excited about that you think would uh, capture the attention of the industry? Well, in my space, I'm trying to focus a lot on the asynchronous. And, you know, we built that hybrid model over COVID uh, because we were really growing exponentially and wanted to be able to uh, leverage technology to go through it. We're going to be looking to build more of that asynchronous uh, get into maybe AI type of uh, discussions where you can speak, you know, certain steps and then there can be certain evaluation, correction time period and kind of learning through the process to to go through that. That's in our world and what we're looking to focus on and investing in. Um, as a whole, as we talked about, I think, you know, the RPM space or remote patient monitoring and uh, uh, how do we really um, reward for good behavior is going to be a big factor for plans and for technology uh, all across the board for the chronic condition. That's where the big dollars are being spent, and that's where the big focus needs to be spent to be able to reduce that. No, I love that. And uh, I love that reward, um, you know, approach as well, like carrot or stick and the gamification aspect of it and how our brain reacts to some of these things. I think linking that to the right behavior for the diabetics or other people where there can be that um, remote monitoring that could happen can be, you know, obviously really, really important. Um, I love it. Well, so yeah, it's very funny you mentioned that because we did build out uh, this year gamification into our platform and it really relates to uh, your care plan, right? How many sessions you're following through, meeting your care plan, how many weeks have gone by without any cancellations, 
that went on. And you get trophies and you get stars and you get rewards uh, to go through that. And people do like that. You know, even though, like I said, it's just that email, congrats, you went, you know, three weeks with your care plan following through. Uh, you know, people don't want to lose that streak. You know, they want to get Absolutely. that fourth week notice. So we have been finding that that's been helping and we have been building into that as well. And there are right and wrong ways of doing that. Meaning not just like Audible also has a similar program, but I'm not so married to it like um, you know fine i got a badge and you know i get all these other badges on you know the apple watch as well i mean all those are fine and i think there are some other apps that are similar as well in different regions that just you know definitely leverage that um, you know reward system in our brains um, you know to help us out with that well that's uh, fantastic um, drew thank you so much i guess unfortunately we've uh, come to the end of uh, our podcast here, but I'm having just such a great time and learning so much, um, such a unique perspective and uh, understanding what you guys have been doing in the space. It's just fantastic. And I love it. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate you and I appreciate all the good work that you're doing to make speech therapy accessible for all of the Americans. Thank you very much. Really was enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you. Have a good one. Bye. Bye. Bye.